Hey, everybody, on today's episode of the Ringer NFL show, Warren Sharp and I are here to break down each and every glorious game on this upcoming divisional round schedule. We want to help you allocate a little of the hard-earned capital. Maybe we can make a little bit back from what we lost on Pittsburgh last week. Plus, we react to all this new news. We have breaking news across the NFL with new coaching hires all around the league. Please stick around. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. I am Warren Sharp. I am joined, as I always am, by Joe House. We are getting ready for divisional round playoff action. The most wonderful time of the year continues with this weekend's action. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the six-game wildcard slate, the Super Wildcard Weekend House. But first of all, we got some breaking news. Why don't you tell the listeners what we've just learned? Yeah, it, it's not often that when we tape these shows, we we are a little bit, we're night owls here on the Ringer NFL show that, that features, you know, gambling for the weekend. So we're usually taping these on like random Thursday nights, Wednesday nights. Lo and behold, it worked out perfect for us. Breaking news, Urban Meyer, the new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguar Sharpie. Pretty exciting stuff. You and I will go ahead and, and talk about that in a second, before we get going in earnest, though, I want to remind all the podcast peoples out there that we, the Ringer NFL show, is coming back again this weekend with live broadcasts immediately following the final games, Saturday night and Sunday night. Live on Saturday, you can watch Kevin Clark and Ryan Rosillo, and then on Sunday, it's Kevin Clark and Nora Pinchotti. Breaking down all the playoff matchups, make sure you are subscribed to The Ringer's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash The Ringer. And if you're following at Ringer NFL on Twitter, you know you'll be able to catch these peeps and get the immediate breakdown. But speaking of breakdown, let's break down Urban Meyer, Sharpie. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questions. There's more question marks than there are answers. How is this going to work? We know that he's had successful collegiate programs at multiple locations, but um, how will it, how will what he brings to the table work in the NFL with, with paid professionals, as opposed to students and, and, and student athletes. And now that you can't just pay people, you have to, and, and recruit them, you actually have to draft them and build up talent a totally different way. Uh, will he have the types of guys that he wants? How will it 
How difficult will it be for him to acquire those pieces? And then what type of offense are they going to run? And and we just are hearing news that it might actually be Scott Linehan at his, as his offensive coordinator. And uh, I don't know. To me, that's just a giant fart noise. Like if you could play uh, <laughs> audio, insert in a big old fart noise. There I'll you just go. do it. There we go. There you go. Um, I'm I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan, but uh, I'm interested to hear your take before we talk about Scott. What did you think about Urban? Well, it makes all the sense in the world, right? He is a beloved figure in uh, Jack the Jacksonville area. Um, there is a lot of romanticizing of his time as the head coach of Florida with good reason. And what he and Tim Tebow had there in Florida was magical. And so they'll be able to tap into all of that goodwill, all of those good sentiments with him as the head coach in, in Jacksonville. The really interesting thing to me is, you know, they're in a prime position Brand new coach, name brand coach, able to build some excitement. Number one pick overall in the draft. Does he do the obvious thing? Does the franchise do the obvious thing and take Trevor Lawrence? Or does he have a perspective on Justin Fields because of the Ohio State connection? Is there a reason for, for Jacksonville to think about trading down in the first round? And get a guy that that maybe uh, Urban has a unique perspective on, um, and and a reason to believe could be successful for Urban in a way that that Trevor Lawrence may not be successful for them. I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of questions. I, I would be shocked. I mean, we've talked for so long about uh, Trevor Lawrence and being the number one overall pick, and obviously Justin Fields. He was injured, uh, but. Right. If he if he showed out a little bit better in that national championship game, perhaps um, maybe it would build a little bit more of momentum. I think Urban's going to do what he wants to do. Right. If he gets his shot, he gets this shot. You know, Khan has given him a blank check to just kind of do his thing. Like it, it, there's been a number of NFL teams that have tried to lure Urban Meyer to the NFL ranks and haven't had success. And Khan decided to pay him enough and give him enough authority to to get in the door and he's going to be going with who he wants. I can guarantee you that he's not going to acquiesce to anybody on the number one overall draft pick if he's going with a quarterback. So um, that will be interesting uh, with Scott Linehan. You know, I was calling for the fart sound effect earlier is this guy. He's the guy that Dallas got, or obviously Jason Garrett, the clapper. That's the big story about the Dallas Cowboys and why everybody thinks that the Dallas Cowboys were this crappy offense because of Jason Garrett. And a lot of that is true. Jason Garrett was so bad that he ended up giving up play call duties to Scott Linehan. And Scott Linehan called a terrible offense. And Scott Linehan, he was the offense coordinator 2015, 16, 17, and 18. Look at these numbers. The first three quarters of games on first down by year. I'll start in 2016. 2016, Dallas is 57% run on first downs. That is the fourth highest in the NFL. 2017, they are 63% run on these first down plays. That's the third highest in the NFL. And then 2018, which was his last year there, they go to 55% run, uh, which was like the sixth highest in the NFL. So overall, I mean, clearly the NFL average, by the way, is down around like 50-50 split first downs in the first three quarters of games. 
way skewed, run-heavy guy, wants to protect a young quarterback by running the football, doesn't understand that if you pass the football on early downs, that's when the defense is playing the run, and so you could give a little bit better advantage to your quarterback, getting better looks, throwing at defenses that aren't having their ears pinned back to chase you down. Maybe you're bypassing those third downs because passes pick up more yards than do run plays. So it's the whole notion that can I protect a rookie young quarterback, whether it's Fields or whether it's Lawrence, by passing the ball on early downs and getting him into an offense that he could get comfortable with in a rhythm? Or am I going to protect him by running the football? And I think we know what Scott Linehan would tend to lean towards. Um, So I think that a lot of what Dak Prescott was able to do as a young QB in Dallas, some of the impressive things um, came uh, kind of out of out of the offense. They came uh, on third downs, kind of like what Justin Herbert had to deal with with the Chargers. He had he threw a lot for a lot of yardage on third downs or when the team was trailing and they had to turn to the pass. Um, he was getting a lot of a lot of out of sequence production um, and. I just don't love the way that that melds with a young quarterback, but uh, he knows Urban Meyer, so he's going to get the gig. We'll see. It's not It's not confirmed that he's got the gig. It's confirmed that Urban does, but he's a leading candidate, as they say. Yeah, well, I, I don't want to belabor this discussion much further because I think we're in agreement that um, for the franchise where it sits uh, on balance, it's a good hire. It makes perfect sense for Jacksonville to try and get some butts in seats and to build some um, positive momentum for the franchise. The question I have for you um, before we move on, why do you think it is that uh, the college coaches coming up with their first NFL job, overwhelmingly um, not a good track record? In the last, since 2010, the only coach with a really good, strong winning record in that position is Harbaugh in San Francisco who landed with, you know, a pretty nice um, framework, good infrastructure in terms of the talent that was there, but also like in terms of decision-making. And to me, in lots of these instances, um, the, the, the biggest open question is, you know, what's the, the franchise um, decision-making structure look like? Who are the professionals there that the coach is going to be working with? And, and, and how does that factor into likelihood of success? And for all of the ones where you don't see a lot of success, it, it's because of, I think, that that sort of business factor. But what's your sense as to why uh, a guy coming in from, from college without any pro experience um, tends to not be successful right away? I think a lot of it is what you're saying. I mean, you, you have guys that get power. They're, they're used to having all the power at college, and then they want to transition that to the NFL. And instead of just being able to go out and recruit, and, and out recruit your competitors or, or like different uh, geographic locations, areas that you're from um, and get a lot of the guys that live around there to convince them to come to your program. Uh, in the NFL, it's totally different. So, you know, you could go to Cleveland or where some guys may not want to play as much. And uh, you have got a salary cap that you got to deal with. And uh, so it's a lot more difficult. There are a lot more factors on the business side of things to try to manage the business of a finite salary cap and trying to deal with those things. Um, and then I think, you know, offense is difficult. Offense is difficult. Um, it's defense is very reactive. Offense is difficult. And when you take a guy, there are some guys that should be able to transition uh, fairly well. But when you first come to the league, you're 
coming somewhere because a coach was fired because the team wasn't winning enough games. In many cases, that's because the team doesn't have a lot of talent on the roster. So you have to figure out, you can't just go, oh, well, yeah, I'm going to get this whole new class of players to come in. In another year, we're going to be great. It's hard to establish that. And uh, and some of these guys, you know, they, they're not, they're very, it's very foreign to them. They're not used to not being able to have resources at their disposal. Well, it could be a good starting position for him. James Robinson's awesome. Um, they have good wide receiver talent. And if it's Trevor Lawrence that they decide to go with, which seems like kind of a no-brainer move, at least in terms of talent on the offensive side of the ball, they'll have options and then they'll have to design a game plan um, for that uh, team to win more than one game next year. And, you know, best of luck. That, that, that team, the good news is like it can go nowhere but up. It's been a disaster <laughs> for years. I, I'm shocked that, you know, their GM has lasted as long as he did. And um, yeah, it's just it's just been a bad team for so long now that it'll be interesting to see what they're able to do and how quickly they'll, they're able to turn things around. Because, I mean, the class to me of that division is what they're building in Indy. And, and I have a lot of confidence in Chris Ballard there. We will see. We don't even have a coach for Houston. We don't know what they're going to be doing yet. We've got controversy with their quarterback, Deshaun Watson, and uh, ownership there. So who knows what's happening there? And uh, and obviously Tennessee, their defense sucks. We'll talk a little bit about sucks. it. Their defense is garbage, and they're led by a defensive head coach. So that's kind of ironic, Mike Vrabel, but his defense sucks. And then their offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith, who's been able to make a little bit of magic there, you know, he may be leaving. So, yeah. um, I think I see Indy, his name everywhere. Yeah. So everywhere is right. So Indy is the class of that division, but the rest of it's pretty up for grabs, to be honest with you. Well, this is the thing. And you didn't ask me to do this. Nobody said to me, Hey house, you know, try and, and, and say something nice about sharp. Here's what this sets me up for. I cannot wait for your book. I know how this, because we have all these things in front of us now. It's January. And so we have, you know, seven months of of all the twists and turns in terms of the draft, in terms of where personnel ultimately land, in terms of who all the teams across the board hire. And so look at the AFC South. There are going to be some delicious future opportunities, I believe, Warren Sharp. And I know that your book is going to have a perspective on these things. When do you start the book, by the way? Again, I know that we're down a rabbit hole, but yeah, I don't uh, care. To keep it quick before we dive back into these divisional games, I start the book uh, usually late February. Uh, sometimes it gets pushed to early March because my schedule historically, the past couple of years at least, has been I go to the Super Bowl, I come back, decompress from the season go to the NFL combine, meet with some guys out there, come home, or in some cases fly directly to uh, Boston to go speak at the Sloan analytics panel uh, on the NFL panel. So that takes me to the beginning of March. Well, now I'm, I'm not going to be going to the combine. Uh, I don't even know what they're doing with that yet. I'm not going to the Super Bowl. I'm not going to the combine. And I don't know what they're doing for the Sloan analytics panel. I'm thinking that's probably like remote uh, people speaking. So um, it's going to open up the opportunity for me to start researching it far earlier, but I, I can't wait to get back into that. Uh, it's so much fun and it definitely last year's version was extremely, extremely successful and predictive and, uh, looking forward to continuing that in 2021. Yeah. Let's go make some good money in 2021. Speaking of making good money, super wild card weekend. 
was absolutely super. My question, Warren Sharp, we can't ever go back. I don't ever want to have a wild card weekend that's less than six games. Have we not had this our whole lives? I agree. I will tell you though. I mean, it's 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 like you you get a nice cake and and you tell your wife like, oh, I want all this icing on. Like, I want I want to do it do this cake upright, and then you have a big piece, and then you're like, man, I don't I don't know when I'm going to be able to eat the rest of this. I don't feel like I can really get through the rest of this. Like that's what it almost felt like after the first three day three games on that first day. Each game is so intense and so jacked up. Got through it, but then after that first Baltimore indie game. I'm sorry. Uh, the uh, the Baltimore Tennessee game on Sunday. I don't know. The the maybe it was just the opponents, but the Bears Saints game kind of dragged, and then the 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 Browns game was shocking. Like it woke me up out of my coma, so to speak. But it definitely uh, got long in the tooth towards the end of it. Um, I'm really looking forward to this weekend because you go back to two and two, and it's interesting because all the games are late. So the first one doesn't start until 4:30 East Coast time on Saturday. Three o'clock East Coast time on Sunday, so we have all morning and early afternoon. But um, I, I'm going to like the two games here. But I agree. I think we'll get used to the six on Super Wildcard Weekend. I hope they don't change it. I thought it was a ton of fun. It was it was a wild success, I think. And and look, the thing about the um, the game uh, Sunday afternoon, which we forecasted was going to be a dead game. That was that's like the dead hole. That's the nap time game. And and yes. we said this is like so. Let's just look for as going forward. God bless the NFL. They they should know the Sunday afternoon game. That's the nap time game. So you have have something exciting to start the day and make sure you got something marquee at night and let everybody take the afternoon to reconnect with their families. Actually, that's perfect. Not to reconnect with the families because what they ended up doing is they stuck the Nickelodeon game <laughs> Which at was that awesome. hour. So, awesome. so you go up and reconvene with the family, but you fall asleep on the couch while the kids watch Nickelodeon on the game and you kind of doze in and out and keep up with everything. And yes. actually that's not a bad, bad strategy, Mr. House. There we go. There we go. We've got success already forecast for ourselves for 2022. Well, let's talk about this slate that we have in front of us, this, this divisional weekend. I mean, because now we're down, this is legit. Uh, you know, the, 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 the best teams, the best games we've been waiting all year. For, for this moment, wildcard weekend is awesome because it's legitimately wild. And we had two uh, straight up um, upsets. Now, the Rams over the Seahawks wasn't an enormous upset because those two teams played each other close in the regular season. And, you know, we know all about the Rams uh, defense. So that didn't feel like a gigantic upset. What the Browns did to the Steelers was an upset and was upsetting to lots of people's gambling sheets, to Steelers Nation, all the terrible towels across America. You know, those Steelers fans like to think of themselves as taking the mantle of, of America's team uh, from Dallas and going around and they get the terrible towels everywhere. Well, now they're just playing all terrible because they had to fire their offensive coordinator. You and Verno covered this uh, on the NF show, NFL show this week. Extremely enjoyable takedown. Poor Randy Fickner. And, you know, they, they have some things to figure out. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Big Ben's last game ever. So far, they're saying no, but, you know, we'll see how this, this, this summer plays out. Um, 
but you know, look, we, we, the, the the right team won the game. The Browns, you know, played better than the Steelers. So I love these matchups that we have this week. Um, let's really quick recap. We, I, 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 I wanted to go 13 and no, guess what? It, it ain't happening. And, and I told and you, you it wasn't, you going. did tell me, you did tell me that's right. Uh, so we went three and three. Um, it's acceptable. The ones that hit the Buffalo Tampa teaser that I think all of America was on, um, you know, we teased Buffalo down and Tampa down and both of those worked out Tampa over 13 and a half. That was one that you gave out to, uh, in, in the first half, Tampa over 13 and a half in the first half against the Washington football team. Um, and I will go down a very quick rabbit hole. Kudos to the Washington football team. I couldn't be happier I believe that Washington is the class of the NFC East as we sit here today in January 2021. I like Washington's prospects better than any other team in the entire NFC East. We had to figure out quarterback, but God bless Taylor Heineke. I'm so glad that he he had time. He could take some time away from his math finals at Old Dominion to come join the franchise. He put on an absolute masterclass in an underdog, gutsy a uh, fighter kind of performance. I couldn't have ad- admired it anymore. And it was a, a stunning thing to see with my own two eyes, a Washington quarterback that can run. I mean, the last quarterback in Washington that could run was RG three. And that lasted all of one season. So uh, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to, to reality now. Uh, Tampa over 13 and a half in the first half was a big fat winner. A lot of people like that. I got a lot of nice kudos in the timeline uh, on that one for you. Uh, New Orleans minus 10, the nap time game. That was a boring cover. Although it, it um, if, if you, you got a 10 and a half or 11, which was the Sunday number, there was some... Uh, intrigue around that last gasp touchdown by the bears. And the fact that they didn't kick the extra point, (laughs) which is hilarious. Uh, Losers were, I had the under in the Ram Seahawks game. That was a weird game. We had, you know, defensive scores and special teams miscues. And that's how you lose on an under. Um, I had Tennessee money line and over. I parlayed that just thinking, you know, on, on a, this would be fun to see kind of basis, but God bless uh, Baltimore. Exciting. And we're going to talk about Baltimore and then Pittsburgh minus four ruined everybody's money line um, parlays across America. And that's fine. That that's why it, it's wild card weekend, right? Well, I hated I hated the last result because I was on the Steelers as well at a really good number. And uh, that one was the one that really made the week. It put the, put a damper for me on the weekend because it finished the, with the weekend with that game at the end there. And I obviously went off on Randy Fickner and uh, we know what happened. He got fired. Uh, So I I don't know that you could say I was right, but he did not, he shouldn't have been calling the plays that he was to start the game. Shouldn't have had that game plan and kudos to the Cleveland Browns. I definitely did. I, I, and we'll talk about the Browns when we get to their game, we'll do it in chronological order, I guess, but um, just foreshadowing like that. Kevin Stefanski put on a show uh, in in how to coach up guys and get them prepared for things um, because he wasn't even there calling the plays. And I know it's a little bit different when you're up 28 nothing at the end of the first quarter. It gets easier to call plays. But I was really impressed by how they handled themselves in the fourth quarter. They stayed somewhat aggressive. They still threw the ball when they needed to to win. They pulled out some plays that they knew would work against Pittsburgh, attacked some of the issues that Keith Butler, their defense coordinator, has with covering 
slot wide receivers with linebackers, and uh, they were able to able to keep on uh, the hold of that game and advance to play the Kansas City Chiefs, which throws everything off, right? Because the thought was Buffalo is going to play Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh was a big favorite over Cleveland. And, and then we were going to get the rematch, Lamar going down and taking on Patrick Mahomes. And now that's not going to be to the AFC championship game unless either the Buffalo Bills or the Cleveland Browns have anything to say about it. So I'm excited to break these games down with you this weekend, House. Podcast peoples, it's the NFL playoffs. My absolute favorite time of the year. Cannot wait to bet all the glorious action this weekend on the FanDuel Sportsbook. If you've never tried FanDuel before, the playoffs are the perfect time to give it a shot. They are hooking it up right now. New users can get an exclusive 25 to 1 odds boost on any team to win during the divisional round this weekend. Yes, that is correct. I said 25 to 1. You have to pick one team, one team to win, any team, any playoff game this weekend. Now, you may be saying to yourself, the 14 and 2 Kansas City Chiefs seem like a pretty damn good bet for this. And I agree with you. And yet the team that I'm selecting for this 25 to one odds boost is the Green Bay Packers. I don't trust Jared Goff. It's going to be freezing cold in Green Bay. He's from California and he's got a busted thumb. Green Bay Packers 25 to one. Go out there and earn yourself a little hard earned our return on investment. Do not miss out on this exclusive offer the FanDuel Sportsbook has a ton of betting options player props futures totals live betting odds boosts multi-game parlay just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and use promo code SHARP S-H-A-R-P so that FanDuel knows that we sent you that's FanDuel Sportsbook download the app and use promo code SHARP Quick reminder, you have to be 21 or older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, or Tennessee. New users only. Got a wager on the designated boost market. A deposit is required. The max bonus is $125. You can see full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. If you have a gambling problem, please Call 1-800-GAMBLER, G-A-M-B-L-E-R. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Let's just go ahead and do it in chronological order. Uh, I want to make sure everything's good. You know, we talked at the end of the show last week. You, everything's good at home. You you survive the weekend. You Your wife's happy with you. Your family's happy with you. Uh, no different than normal. Okay, um, good. So we're, we're, we're doing well. I mean, uh, the kids, 
uh, I sh- I was showing them some of the Nickelodeon stuff. You know, they they thought that was interesting. Um, but other than that, you know, I'm I'm just uh, working my ass off. It is interesting, you know, uh, a lot of work Mondays and Tuesdays, late late nights, um, trying to get game plans together and and help guys out, and it's a ton of fun because I love doing it. It's just a lot of hours, but well, um, you, you've got teams in these playoffs and, and there's a lot, it's, it's, everything's at stake now. So I'm super I, nervous about, about some of these games. So okay. <laughs> let's, let's talk, let's talk them. Cause well, I'm not, I don't I'm, think, are you nervous about the, the Packers and the Rams? The Packers are favored by six and a half at home. Um, this is the, the first game of, of the weekend in green Bay. There are all kinds of stats out there that um, reflect the fact that Aaron Rodgers uh, at home in the playoffs is um, a great situation to go ahead and and, and lay the number. Um, I, having seen all of these injuries to to the Rams and and from my square perspective, think I'm kind of comfortable going ahead and laying the number with the Packers. Um, One thing that your colleague T.A. Cleveland, my homie, pointed out is that it's going to be cold in, in, in uh, green Bay and Jared Goff doesn't have a ton of experience playing in, in cold weather, uh, two games in 2018. Um, and, uh, the, the, the temperatures forecast to be in the twenties, I think at Lambeau and his stats in those 2018 games are horrific. I think his, his single worst passer rating was against Chicago in a Sunday night game where he had a, a passer rating of 19.1. He had 180 yards and four interceptions. And he has a busted thumb. So uh tough situation, it looks like, for the Rams. How are you thinking about this game? Well, let me ask you first. What What is your, if you're doing one, one play a, a game, one bet a game, what is your initial read on this one? So... The thing that I like the best, probably my favorite bet of the entire weekend, is a teaser of the Packers taking them from six and a half down to a half point and putting that with Baltimore and teasing Baltimore up to eight and a half points. That's my A number one best, most favorite bet by far of the entire weekend. That teaser. Um but I need, you know, if I, my, my lean on this particular game is Packers minus six and a half. Okay. Okay. So I don't, I don't mind the teaser. Um, I don't mind the teaser, the interesting elements. Well, for me personally, and, and you know, cause you're part of uh, my group, but I sent out uh, and we bet the Rams to win the Super Bowl at 11 to one, like literally the week before Goff breaks his thumb. Right. And so Goff breaks his thumb and the odds plummet. You know, I think it was like down to 30 to one. And it's looking like we should flush this bet down the drain because there's no there's no hope. And then they get into the playoffs. They were able to make their way into the playoffs despite that. Um, And I decided I wasn't going to hedge it the first game against the Seahawks because I thought that there was a good chance that the Rams were going to win that game. So I didn't bet the game at all uh, from a from a side perspective. I didn't take the Seahawks. I didn't add more to the Rams because I was already on the Rams with this futures ticket. Now I got this futures ticket and we got a line of 
Six and a half, it was seven. It got bet down. There certainly is very sharp money taking the who took the Rams at plus seven, um, dropped the line back down. And if you look at the game itself, I mean, the line shouldn't quite be this high, uh, but there's a lot of questions swirling around Jared Goff and 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 what he's going to do in this game. And did the team actually even want him to play last week? Uh, were the team hoping that he wouldn't have to play? And um, so for this game, there is the reasoning logic that I probably will end up hedging something back. And that teaser that you pointed out is certainly a positive teaser. It's the primary teaser that I would look to do this weekend, those two exact legs that you mentioned. Um, you don't get to move the Packers through the seven is the only downside to it, but I still think it offers the most value. The interesting thing about this game, House, is, is the strength of the Rams defense is with Jalen Ramsey from a coverage perspective and with Aaron Donald from a pass rush and disruption overall perspective. The issue though, like they have a big advantage against most teams because nobody has a wide receiver that's going to give Jalen Ramsey as much trouble. I mean, some teams have good wide receivers, but Devontae is like just off the out of this world. And then most teams don't have a starting center like Corey Lindsley. And Corey Lindsley is the number one graded out center this entire season. So Aaron Donald is number one in pass rush win rate, but he's going up against the best center in the NFL in terms of production this year. I still give the edge to Aaron Donald, but it's not like he's going up against the 15th or the 25th center. It's going to be a little bit less production because of who is lined up across from him. Similarly for Jalen Ramsey. Even if you look at the numbers, Jalen Ramsey would only, I mean, even if he travels a little bit, he's not going to go into slot as much, would only cover Devontae Adams right, maybe like 65, 70% of the time. That's still giving Aaron Rodgers like 30% of the time when Jalen's not on him. I could target him on all those plays and still give him almost as many targets as he has in a normal game. But there probably will be times when they still challenge Jalen Ramsey, I would guess, maybe a couple of times here or there. And, uh, Devontae Adams is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And what he does is he beats you with his legs off the line. His releases are some of the best in the NFL off the line of scrimmage. And what Jalen Ramsey loves is if you're trying to be physical with him, get your hands on him, he'll get his hands on you and really lock you up and limit what you're able to do. But Devontae doesn't like to play physically with his hands. He likes to use his legs, almost like a it's hard to say, like a basketball player with the ball, like juking you out, like you're not like pushing the defender down in the post. You're up top trying to create space with fakes before you even start driving down the field. And that's exactly what he's really good at doing. I, I think those matchups are going to be phenomenal to watch. But the bigger matchup to me, the overall game matchup, like those are like individual like chess pieces, you know, who's going to have the advantage. It's Brandon Staley on the defensive side of the football from a coaching perspective and a game plan perspective versus Matt LaFleur. Brandon Staley, the Rams defensive coordinator, has one of the best defenses in the NFL at second half adjustments. They are allowing less than a touchdown on average over the second half uh, in the second half of games over the entire season. Less than one touchdown scored in the second half. The problem is that the Rams... Sorry, the problem is that the Packers are the NFL's number one scoring offense in the first half. So the Packers get out really quick on you. Staley's great at making adjustments at halftime, slowing you down in the second half. Staley's got to bring all those adjustments. He's got to be right 
with his game plan to start the game. Because you cannot afford to have Aaron Rodgers taking a big lead against you, even if it's like a 13-point lead into the second quarter, uh, against a quarterback like Jared Goff with a broken finger, with a hobbled Cooper Cup, and you want to just primarily run the football. That's not going to work if the Packers start creating margin and pulling away from you. So it's it's very important. The first 10 minutes of this game are going to be vital for the Rams to keep it super close. And it's going to be very important that Brandon Staley has a great game plan at the onset rather than adjustments at halftime to slow down this offense of the Green Bay Packers. So this is, I'm disappointed, honestly, because this could have been such a delightful matchup. It's just unfortunate that the Rams have the injuries that 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 they have. It's not often that you get the number one defense in the NFL against the number one offense in the NFL at this stage with this matchup. And it's just a bummer that the Rams have the injuries that they have because we don't get the full benefit of what all, all the intrigue that that matchup should carry. I am by orientation, old school, a defense guy, and defense wins playoff games. So my inclination always, always, always is to take the team with the superior defense when it's going up against what's supposed to be a high-powered offense. I'm not doing that here because I cannot in, in any way, shape, or form think about looking myself in the mirror and saying, Joe House, you bet on Jared Goff with his busted-ass thumb in 25-degree in weather at Lambeau Field to cover a bet. I just can't look myself in the mirror and, and, and do that. Well, just realize that most everybody else, your your next door neighbor, the guy who lives across the street from you, the guy who walks his dog in front of your house and, and it shits and then you don't, and he doesn't <laughs> pick it up and you try to come out and yell at him. All those guys have that same thought process. Like, why would I bet on Jared Goff with a broken thumb against Aaron Rodgers and the best offense in the NFL playing at home? And it's interesting, like obviously Aaron Rodgers based everything that he's done this season on getting home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Like he can't, he can't lose this game. He can't because everything that he's been building for is home field path to the Super Bowl. It's cold here. We want to bring teams in. There's not many home field advantage. There's not a home field advantage in, in Tennessee. There's not a home field advantage in LA. There's a home field advantage in green Bay. And uh, so it is it is difficult. There's obviously a lot of public action that's on that. And the line dropped. I explained why it did. Um, I'm I leaned initially towards the Rams. I am I haven't done anything on this game. And it'll be to be determined whether or not I I end up doing anything. I want to see some some additional injury related information here as we get closer to uh, getting the final injury reports. Yeah. Well, we're going to, I'll have four bets at the end of the show, but let everybody know for a hundred percent certain one of the four bets this weekend will be that teaser green Bay down to a half and the Ravens up to eight and a half. Let's go ahead and talk about that Ravens bills Saturday. I got Saturday night fever already Sharpie. This to me is the best game of the weekend. This is the one that carries the kind of intrigue that I was, you know, we might've gotten out of uh, the, the, the Rams and, and the Packers. This is um, two really, really interesting offenses, offensive strategies. Uh, the, the, the matchups are everything. I'm extremely excited for this Baltimore 
Buffalo uh, competition. And here's my my initial reaction as I as I look at this. The Bills have not been good against the run. They haven't been good against the run for for several, several, several weeks. They were not good against the run against the Colts. In fact, that game last week against the Colts, and we it's part of why uh, I was inclined to to tease that game. And, you know, there was a lot of um, analytics out there suggesting caution in terms of laying all those points that the Bills were favored by against the Colts. Uh, notwithstanding, we we expressed some pessimism about Philip Rivers in the cold up in Buffalo. Well, the the Bills didn't touch Philip Rivers. I don't I don't think the only time he might have touched anybody having to do with with the Bills is when he shook Josh Allen's hands at the end of the game. Because uh, otherwise, no no Buffalo Bill touched uh, Philip Rivers in in that entire football game, and the Colts established the run. And the Colts self-defeated, as has been kind of the way for the Colts in this 2020-2021 season. The Colts had every opportunity to win that football game. And it began and end to me with their ability to, to create sustained drives built off of the rush. And Baltimore is a superior rushing team. Not just superior, the best rushing team in football. And so I just look at that matchup. And that, to me, suggests there's some value in the Ravens getting points and perhaps some value in the Ravens' money line, which is where I'm leaning on this game. How are you sizing this one up, my friend? Well, let me ask you another question. So you broke down kind of the Bills and the Colts game, and you thought the Bills probably should have lost that game to the Colts, and the Colts really shot themselves in the foot with this with the field position, and they probably should have done a lot better. They had success running the football. Talk to me a little bit about your takeaways from Baltimore's game against Tennessee. So that was, um, you know, a a really impressive adjustment game by the Ravens. I thought I I was really impressed by Tennessee's defensive presence at the beginning of that football game. Tennessee um, did something out of character for, for the Titans this year, which is, you know, uh, um, a, a contained kind of defense. And I, you know, you, you're the analytics fellow, so I'm not going to be able to speak of it in, in the the proper kind of, it sounds so prestigious terminology, but look, uh, they really created some unexpected looks for the Ravens and the Ravens couldn't really do anything, but the Ravens adjusted in the final three quarters. They were able to start having, um, their way with some Ravens rushing football. And, um, you know, I, I, I'll t- tip of the hat to Tennessee for really changing the character and identity of that team. And by the way, that's another example of Tennessee under Vrabel. Do they did the exact same thing in the playoffs last year? They gave us looks at the in those playoffs in in 2019 into 2020 that were looks that that we ha- really hadn't seen during the year. They they're really um, um, smart about taking the individual matchups and breaking them down, and looking for the advantages that they can get. I think they did that uh, effectively against Baltimore. Baltimore was able to adjust, and Baltimore's will ultimately carry the day. Vrabel punting from the 40 yard line. He didn't need to aid and abet the effort. I mean, I'll never forgive that. For a guy that I think is smart, him punting from the 40-yard line, I'll never get over it. But uh, we all make mistakes, so I, I guess I'll hold my nose. Okay, so no, I, 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 
I think your belief on the reaction to both of those games is what a lot of people hold. I think a lot of people watched both those games and came away with those same takeaways. My, my takeaways are as follows from the games last week that then have helped drive my research towards understanding what I think is going to happen in this game. And I'll share some of that. When I saw the Buffalo game against the Colts, the very first thing to me that was a massive difference that nobody was really talking about was the average starting field position, not for the Colts and the potential points that they squandered, but for the Buffalo Bills. As much as I like to hope that offense coordinators will just call what they think is best in every situation, like the most plus EV play, no matter where they are on the field, I know now that it's difficult to call plays when you're backed up at your end zone. It's difficult to run an offense. It's difficult to figure out what to call because you know any type of mistake is going to give the opponent great field position or points in a snap of a finger. Buffalo had five drives in the first half against the Colts. Here's where they started from. Mind you, a kickoff that's a touchback, you get it at the 25-yard line. They started at their own three-yard line, their own four-yard line, their own six-yard line, their own 11-yard line, and their own 15-yard line. That was it. They still drove two of those. I think they had an 85-yard drive, which was the one they started at their 15. They drove the length of the field, 85 yards, scored a touchdown, and a 96-yard drive, I believe, which was the one they started at their four-yard line, all the way the length of the field to score a touchdown. But it's a, it is difficult to call plays when you're backed up like that. The average field position per snap, so look at all the snaps that one team played, what was the average field position they were on the field? Look at the average uh, field position for the other team per snap in that first half. This is crazy. Buffalo's average field position was their own 40-yard line. The Colts' average field position was the Bills' 40-yard line. <laughs> Both teams were at the Bills' 40-yard line on average from a field position perspective. On the other side of the, uh, the other game, when I'm looking at Baltimore, you know, for me, I care a lot about offensive efficiency, being efficient. And I see the Tennessee Titans and I see Arthur Smith, and you've heard me talk about this often. If they're stacking the box to stop the run and they're trying to take Derrick Henry away from you, which every single good defense coordinator in the NFL is trying to do, you cannot fall into that trap and just run the ball into loaded boxes. We talked about that before this game. It was one of the reasons that I was like, Baltimore here. Baltimore is going to figure it out how to play these guys defensively and how to attack them offensively. But 10 first downs in the first half, Arthur Smith runs Derrick Henry on 80% of them and gains like 2.7 yards per carry on those plays, just derails the Titans' ability to be productive. The only touchdown that they got that half was when they move, and he always does it his second drive, to a pass-heavy tempo and throws the football down the field. So enough about last week. The bottom line is I thought the Titans were the ones through their own play calling who hurt themselves a ton in this game. Credit to Baltimore's defense for playing great. They still played great. It doesn't diminish what Baltimore's defense did. But Tennessee's offense, just you're not going to win games like that against a good defense. And then I'm looking at Baltimore and I'm like, I know the Titans have these guys number. They play them a little bit uniquely, but my God, this is the worst defense in the NFL. And if you take away that pass that Lamar was going to throw when he was close to midfield and he drops back 
And then he starts scrambling because the pocket's collapsing and he goes, I think, 54 yards and scores a just absolutely remarkable touchdown that only Lamar Jackson could ever do in the NFL, I believe, right now from a quarterback perspective. What else did they do the entire game, right? Against literally the worst defense in the NFL that was still alive in the playoffs. So I left that game thinking, eh, Baltimore, I don't know. But I still entered this game looking at the matchup and saying, man, I agree with you, House. Baltimore is going to be able to run the ball and Buffalo struggles to stop the run. Um, But then what I did is I looked back at last year's meeting when these two teams played one another. And if you remember, what was Baltimore last year? They were a damn juggernaut, right? This team went on a major run and was dominating and they played the Bills in Buffalo in week 14 and they had won, I want to say it's like eight games in a row, something crazy uh, on their way uh, to what was going to be the best record in the NFL last year. And they go into Buffalo and yet Buffalo's defense was a little bit better last year, fully admitted, but Baltimore runs the ball in total for 3.6 yards per carry. Lamar Jackson runs the ball himself for 3.6 yards per carry. Mark Ingram was their lead back. He averaged 3.3 yards per carry. And Lamar Jackson finishes with only 40 yards on 11 attempts. So I'd be a little bit worried that maybe there's something that Sean McDermott, the coach of the Buffalo Bills, who's also heavily from the defensive side of football, has figured out to do against Lamar Jackson and this creative Baltimore rushing attack that maybe doesn't work so well when you're scared a quarterback's going to drop back to pass and you don't really know what's going on. But when you got a team like this that wants to run the football a lot, it may work a little bit better. The other thing that Buffalo's got defensively is, I mean, how how was how was Baltimore crushing Tennessee last week? It was basically with Marquise Brown. I mean, number 15, yeah, he was crushing right. him. Well, you got number one. You sorry, you got your own guy, your number one cover corner, Tredavious White. He could cover a lot of the sins that uh, otherwise Brown could cause against you. And now you're talking about, we're going to have to crush you with Mark Andrews in the pass game or just run the football. So they might be able to take away to some extent, number 15 from this game. The thing when Buffalo has the football, the two points that I'll make here is two things that got to focus on. Number one, keep the pressure off of Josh Allen. Easier said than done. But Josh Allen has been great against the Blitz this year, but there is a massive difference between Blitz and pressure. The Baltimore Ravens blitzed the quarterback at the number one highest rate of any team in the NFL. But Josh Allen has already played eight teams that rank in the top 10 in Blitz rate this season, and he's done very well against the Blitz. What he's done very poorly against is pressure. If pressure gets to him, he does not perform well. So you got to get... You got to understand where the blitz is coming from. You got to be very mentally dialed in. A lot of smelling salts, Josh Allen. A lot of smelling salts. <laughs> Keep your brain engaged and use personnel. Dayball needs to use the personnel groupings that are going to best suit the offense to minimize pressure against Josh Allen. What are the ones that Baltimore doesn't you do get get a lot of pressure from? Let's use those personnel groupings a little bit more. The second thing is race as fast as you can to a halftime lead. Lamar Jackson is 28 and 2 when his team is tied or leading at halftime. He is 1 and 7 when his team is down at halftime by any margin. 
if you're Buffalo, you absolutely have to start quickly. You have to put points on the board. You have to play them defensively well enough so that you go to halftime and the Ravens go into their locker room and say, you know what? Obviously, we're not having as much success as we need to. Let's dial up the drop back game. Let's dial up the more 11 personnel game. We're going to have to throw the football more here. Those are the words that you dream to hear if you are the Buffalo Bills coming out of the Ravens locker room at halftime. Got to figure out how to get a lead. I can't believe that stat. So the only game in Lamar Jackson's career that the Ravens, with him as the starting quarterback, the Ravens have come back at halftime and won was that Colts game. Was that four weeks ago? Because they were down, you know, the Colts were kicking their ass all up and down the, the football field. Uh, and then the Ravens came out and, and is that right? Was it, was it the Colts game? It was the Colts game week nine against the, uh, it was week nine in Indianapolis against the Colts. Every single I, other game he's lost. I can't believe that. That's, that's, well, I mean, um, I guess there's a, a handful of factors that go into that, but we don't need to, to, to go all the way through that i'm i'm processing it the this game the the bills are favored by two and a half which means that um vegas has priced this as though these two teams are even in a traditional setting that over under the number i'm seeing right now is 49 and a half and on the money line the ravens are plus 125 my play for this game um in addition to the teaser that i absolutely love is the Ravens money line. I I think that the Ravens are, I think there's decent value in the plus 125. I think they're going to be able to assert their will by virtue of, of this rushing attack. And I think their defense um, is flexible enough and they're all, everybody's healthy again, and they're going to be able to put some pressure on, on Allen. Um, and I feel like it's a close game and I can see, um, the Ravens, you know, like kicking a, it's a Justin Tucker 48 yard field goal, you know, with, with, uh, 45 seconds left. So three things to hit, hopefully quickly. The first one relates to the coach and some of the stuff that came out of Baltimore. The second one relates to the weather and the third one relates to line movement. I was very shocked to hear after that game against Baltimore, uh, after Baltimore's game against the Titans, John Harbaugh came out. Did you hear what he said? He said, this was the best win in my football coaching career. He did say that. You're right. He came out and said, and it, he's like, and it sounded like it wasn't just him. It sounded like this was the most meaningful win for the guys in the locker room, it was massive. You you saw them. They got a chance to go stomp on the logo to get revenge. I think they took it really personally that the Titans were 2-0 and against them, had stomped on their logo at midfield, and they needed Lamar, needed to get a win. And to me, Baltimore's on a short week. And look, John Harbaugh, he's won AFC championship games. He's won Super Bowl. He's won a Super Bowl. Like, for this wild card win, they are a favorite in this game against Tennessee, and they're playing one of the worst defenses in the entire NFL. And that is the best win of your coaching career. I don't know. I just feel like that there's a lot of um, 
relaxation that occurs when you really achieve something that you've worked really hard for. And it might be a little bit difficult to get jacked up to that level that it takes. You know, the Buffalo Bills were certainly relieved and happy that they got the win, but I didn't hear anything coming out of that. Oh, thank God. That was the greatest. I'm so proud of us. Like this was amazing. The best feeling in the world. I've never done anything better than this. Like their sights are set on winning this game and, and going to the AFC championship game. So from that perspective, I, I didn't necessarily love that. From the weather perspective, the other interesting thing is there could be some weather here. Mm-hmm. We got cold temperatures. We got the potential for rain, sleet, maybe. I don't even know. Right. I guess there could be some lake effect snow. Who knows what ends up could be occurring in this game that you would think that that should favor the road team, the team that runs the football, right? The Buffalo just lost their number one running back. The weather should favor the team that runs the football a lot. However, that being said, you know, Lamar Jackson already came out and said, I don't want to play in the snow. I hope it's not snowing. I really don't want to play the first game in the snow. You know, if he's saying it, he's thought it for a little while. It's in his mind. It's going to be on his mind until he steps out on that football field and hopes that there's actually no snow there. And that's not the best status for your quarterback. You can't predict, you can't like control the weather. The Bills have Josh freaking Allen. Josh freaking Allen went to Wyoming. He's lived in these conditions. He played, I watched his games in college playing in snowstorms. He's a big dude with a big arm and a big gun, and he could throw the football in these types of conditions. I know the Bills haven't had a lot of success in games with rain and weather this season so far in some of their opponents in games, but I mean, that to me at least takes the benefit of, oh yeah, weather definitely favors the Ravens. And now I'm like, yeah, probably a little bit, but not as much as I was initially thinking. From the Lions perspective, the cool thing about this game house, uh, if you're a little bit torn, it sounds like you really like the Ravens, so you're not a little bit torn. But for some people that are a little bit torn on this point spread, you're not alone because there are two very sophisticated, strong betting groups out there. One's a little bit more new school. One's much more old school. Both are very successful, have been for a while now. One group came in and took the Ravens at plus three. Dropped the line all the way down to like one and a half. The other group came in and bet the bills at minus one and a half. And that's why the line right now is sitting at two and a half. If it gets (laughs) back up to three, they're going to be buying the Ravens again and dropping it back down. If it gets too low, the other group's going to come in and bet the bills at a low number. So there's a lot of battling on this game from the size perspective. And you can see the total has dropped a little bit as news of, of weather exists and we're getting closer and the weather still looks like it may impact the game. That's why the total is starting to trickle down. It's now down to 49 and a half. Well, let me ask you this question and then we'll move on to the next game. We've talked throughout this season that you almost never want to buy into a a number you want to buy. There are limited circumstances is the better way to put it. Um, Based on what we've, we've talked through, and the way that the, the line has moved here, would this be an instance if you're a person like me who, who, who likes what the Ravens look like coming into this game, buying off the two and a half up to the three, if it's still sitting at two and a half uh, um, Saturday afternoon? 100%. No doubt. Like, no doubt about it. You don't want to buy off numbers, but you want to buy on two numbers. And right now it's a juice two and a half in favor of Buffalo. So that's a very cheap buy to get to the three for Baltimore. There's no doubt about it. That's exactly what you want to do. 
you also want to tease them, like you said. I mean, you, like it sounds like you're loading up. So if you're loading up and you really feel good about this, I don't know if you do or not, but so don't go crazy if you don't. But if you do, you're going to be teasing them. We've talked about like different ways to play teams like this, right? So you you tease them up through the three and the seven. That's a great teaser leg. Get it captures a lot of value there. You're buying up to three. You're spending a tiny bit of money, but it's not an expensive buy. And you're taking them on the money line, or you can actually sell points, right? You could you could you could take uh, Baltimore at an alt line to uh, to be the favorite to win the game by at least three points or something like that. If you feel confident about what the Ravens are going to be capable of doing here and see the weather conditions and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's great. Okay, I. I don't have super strong conviction on the Ravens. I'm mostly excited for the game. Like I yeah. can't wait for Saturday night and seeing this game. I think this, this has so much potential for, for intrigue, but I am going to bet a few of those things that we're talking about. It's like I said, the teaser is my favorite bet of the weekend and I'll put a tiny bit on come some of the other things we're talking about, but I'm glad to hear you, uh, c- confirm that buying into the three is, is an okay move here. Cause I am going to do that. Yeah, me personally, before I really dug into it, when I first looked at this game and the lines were posted and I saw, I was first obviously surprised that Buffalo is going to have to play the Ravens because I thought Buffalo was going to play the Steelers and the Steelers lose and now Buffalo is suddenly playing the Ravens. I'm like, oh shit, this is really bad matchup for Buffalo. They can't stop the run quite as well. And, you know, the weather might be bad and they're not going to have as much success passing the football and how will Josh do against the pressure and the blitz. As I've researched and as I dug more into it, I've, I've, completely cooled on that. I haven't done anything with the game from that, from the sides perspective. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I stand. I, I, I shared a lot of the interesting research. I'm trying to share the nuggets that I think are below the surface that not everybody is considering that you may want to factor in. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match. With Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash ringer NFL. Just go to indeed.com slash ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Well, we're we're, we're going to do Sunday now, Sharpie, but... It- Holy moly, it's a we have a more breaking news. Another what? another nugget. We just got an indication. The new head coach of the New York JETS, 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 Jets. Wait, let me let me ask you, who do you think it is? I'll I'll just say I'll ask. I mean, based on what I was seeing and thinking would be perfect fits, I was thinking that. Arthur Smith to the Lions and Robert Sala to the Jets for some reason just seemed like a good fit. Um, but I don't I don't know. You son of a gun. I wish I'd asked you before I went and and put a little bit of a a, a couple unit, you know, tasty nugget down on 
Salah to Detroit because, you know, I love those those hometown stories. I'm such a sucker for them. It is indeed Robert Sala to uh-huh. the New York Jets. What do you think about that fit? I, I think he is kind of the... He's totally opposite of Adam Gase, right? He, the Jets wanted to get somebody who's high energy, who is personable, who is going to be like a strong face. And that's exactly what he is. You know, Ad, uh, uh, Adam Gase is keeping the hat down because he's looking all over the place and the flying tacos around his head and all that type of stuff. <laughs> so Robert Tala is completely opposite of that. Um Somebody was going to go defense, right? Somebody was going to go out there and hire a defensive-minded coach. And obviously your fear is that whoever you hire as an offensive coordinator may end up leaving. Um, It sounds like they're hiring 49ers passing game coordinator Mike LaFleur as his offensive coordinator. So um, he's going... Uh, to somebody who he's quite familiar with. Uh, Mike LaFleur obviously um, has has designed the offense that Kyle Shanahan, so he's going to run the similar offense probably to what Kyle Shanahan was using. And uh, Robert Sala's defense was creative and ad- adapted pretty well to a lot of injuries. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how he fares in the Big Apple. Well, what do you we, think? We're, I, <laughs> the lingering taste in my mouth is what that 49ers defense did against the Bills. And I watch and 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 these Jets now have to play the Bills twice. And what the Buffalo Bills did, the humiliation and and, and it, it just felt like it was personal to Salah. I mean, they they pants the guy on national television. It was really an embarrassment. I mean, they it was an absolute they had no clue how to stop that Bills. And I, you know, look, the Bills have been a juggernaut all season long. And like you said, the 49ers had have injuries across the board on defense, but it is it is funny because i mean of the of the guys who have gone out there the guys in this class i think to me what brian dayball has been able to do to some of those defenses or when he's gone up head to head against some other offensive guys who are getting jobs like or who may get jobs who are being in the conversation for him because this is the first one that really has landed um i i think dayball is like his resume is the game, the results of the games, right? Like he, uh, he needs to say no more, but, um, I'm, I actually think it's a better fit. This is why I like the fit, like Dayball going to the jets. I didn't necessarily love that. And Salah going there. I, I think it's more the city. And I think that it's going to, he's going to be a boisterous guy there. Um, I'm not totally a fan of like my head coach jumping up and down stopping all over the place. And, uh, doing all that type of stuff. I'm I'm a little bit more of like the quiet, demeanored, thoughtful guy, like the Andy Reid style. You know, like like the thoughtful guy who's creating things. Even 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 uh, even Lafleur with the Ram. I'm sorry, Lafleur with the Packers or McVay with the Rams, who does get a little bit animated, but is absolutely nowhere near the level of of uh, Robert Sala. You know, those are the guys that I kind of. I kind of go for a little bit more, but I think he's going to be interesting for the city. I think it's a good hire for them. I don't know if it's going to work, but I think it's a good hire for them. Okay. Well, I mean, let's see if we can get through the rest of the show without any more breaking news. I mean, it's all happening in real time here on the ringer NFL show, um, which is very exciting. Speaking of exciting, we have a couple of unbelievable matchups for Sunday start Sunday afternoon. Three o'clock. This really does feel like a delicious appetizer before we get to the main course. Uh, and it's Kansas City laying 10 at home against the 
um, really nobody believes in us Cleveland Browns. I mean, that was absolutely wonderful if you didn't have any money on the Pittsburgh Steelers, what <laughs> yes. the Browns did. I mean, and, and it really is a testament to the NFL and to, you know, the, 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 the balance, the parity, and to that organization in particular, Stefanski, his entire coaching staff, all of the decision makers there get so much credit, deserve so much credit for being prepared to play in that game under the circumstances that they were um, dealing with. And they just, you know, they, they had the Steelers coming and going. Now the Steelers also self-defeated, but you know, the, the, the Browns absolutely put the hammer down, uh, had their foot on the throat at every opportunity. They, they, they did, they left no points on the field with all the good fortune that they had in front of them. And that's the testament. I mean, uh, the hallmark uh, of a good team. I think it all ends this weekend. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, the thing that I'm looking forward to my play, I'll just get it out of the way. I, I, it's the numbers, the total sitting at 57. I'm just taking over 57. I want to sit back, watch these offenses get going. Um, this is Kansas city coming off of, 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 of a bye week There are all these stats about Andy Reed coming off a of bye week They're, they're, uh, four and two against the spread with a first round bye. two and one straight up against the spread. Um, two and one, uh, straight up and against the spread in this spot. Um, you know, the, 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 there isn't really much more to say about, uh, the chiefs in this position. Um, the only thing, you know, in terms of a side, the chiefs haven't covered a game since week eight, right? They, they, they've been winning games by one, one score, um, for the balance of this, this, this season. Some of it is, you know, they're 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 playing you know it just enough just enough for the win it looks like strategy wise and kind of you know energy wise um but i i uh admire the browns i appreciate what they've done i want a high scoring game to start off my my sunday football viewing how are you sizing this game up Supersizing it, baby. Supersizing yeah. it. I, I think this game is going to be pretty exciting um let's let's we're going to dive into the matchups here, but let's just talk philosophically first uh, because you can't control what the other offense does, but you can control what your own offense does. You're reacting to what they do defensively, but you can control what you do. And so there's a school of thought out there of how do we beat the Chiefs? Is it to shorten the game or a big underdog run the ball, play more conservative, try to finish your drives in seven, but keep this game really tight? Or do you just let it all hang out, right? Flapping in the breeze and try to call your best plays, whatever you think you should do against that defense. Don't worry about who the other quarterback is. I want to call my best stuff when I can to move the football most efficiently as possible to score points. I don't want to call a play that I think is less efficient just because I'm more interested in the split second. It comes across my mind. Well, let's burn a little clock with this play. Here's my thought process on this. If I'm the Browns and I'm Kevin Stefanski, my offense is rolling from last week. My energy is high. My dudes are jacked. And I'm playing a Kansas City team that hasn't played its offensive starters in three weeks. And the prior game that they played, they started slow. And there's been a couple games this year that they've started very slow. I'm 
fucking starting aggressive. I'm going fast. I am. My goal is to build a lead here. I know they may come back on me, but my goal is to put up points early and make Kansas City, who's been sitting back watching other teams play, feel like, oh crap, this is this is the playoffs again. I, and and now there's more pressure on Kansas City. They are no longer hunting. They are the hunted, and there is a mantle that is different when you are the guys that are defending that Super Bowl title and you're like, oh crap, I can't let these guys knock us off. We want to repeat. And what they've been talking about since before the season, we want to repeat. And you get a team that comes out. Think about it from this way, House. This is what I always tell coaches and I always share with you guys. What do you think, you're Kevin Stefanski, what do you think the Chiefs would want you to do? They would absolutely love the Browns to start slow, right? Yes, absolutely. They would want want, the Chiefs haven't played their starters since week 16. They're probably hoping the Browns don't get out quick. They're hoping the Browns don't score because that's going to put pressure on their own offense. Oh, shit, we got to go zero to 60, right? We got to ramp up Ferrari Pat as quickly as possible now because we're in a deficit. They don't want you to start fast. They want you to start slow. So you don't do what they want you to do. Now, in terms of the X's and O's, the biggest thing I'm looking at here is it kind of goes along with what you're suggesting from a total points perspective. Both defenses struggle to stop what the other team wants to do. The Chiefs are the number one most pass-heavy offense in the NFL. The Browns rank bottom 10 against the pass, and they have played one of the easiest schedules of passing offenses In the NFL. In fact, it was the number one easiest schedule of overall offenses, the number two easiest schedule of passing offenses and pass blocking offensive lines. So their defense hasn't been tested against the pass easy schedule, but they've been bad at stopping the pass. They rank 25 against the pass on the year. How do you rank 25 against the pass playing the second easiest schedule of passing offenses? It means you must be really bad. And now you got the Chiefs who are the number one most pass heavy team and are one of the best passing offenses in the NFL. Flip the script, go to the other side of the football. You've got a Cleveland Browns team. We'll talk in a second how they've shifted a little bit more aggressively towards the pass down the stretch. But the Browns are a very good running team. They like to get a lot of efficiency. They like to build their offense off of the run. They like to use some play action. The Chiefs have the number 29 ranked run defense. So that's fourth worst. And they have played the number one easiest schedule of run offenses on the year. The easiest schedule. How do you rank again? You must be pretty darn bad if you play the easiest schedule that any team has faced and you rank fourth worst in the NFL. And now you got a Cleveland Browns team that of their guys, they got their running backs healthy. They got Kareem Hunt who says he wants revenge, whatever. I don't think that means anything in this game, but you've got a healthy run game that can also use play action. We know that the play action game has caused the chiefs a lot of problems. So I think that you've got two offenses that are going to be able to move the ball, open up their playbooks, call really whatever they want against two defenses is that struggle to stop them. I want to throw up. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I, I, I like it. I was just was going to share a couple square guy observations on the points that you're making in the first place. You know, you're talking about um, the Chiefs and how they want this game to open up. I mean, I'll remind you that the Houston Texans last year opened up against the Chiefs 24 nothing. 
uh, the Chiefs in that situation were were ten point favorites. I mean, it's 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 really a, a nice uh, comparison to what we're seeing this week. Uh, and and um, boy, the Chiefs came all the way back and took care of business. That was a fifty one thirty one. And then I love what you're talking about in in terms of. You know, um, Cleveland against the pass. We just watched an awesome example of how bad they are against the pass because it was not until Nick Chubb, you know, scored a touchdown to take uh, uh, the Browns up to 45 points on Sunday that I think Cleveland Brown fans could start breathing a tiny sigh of relief. I mean, the Pittsburgh mounted a furious comeback through the air, and there was nothing about that Browns defense in the second half that made me think that, that they were going to be able to stop um, Ben. It was just Ben stopping himself with, with another bad uh, interception um, towards the end of the game and, and, a, and a punt choice by Tomlin and an, another unbelievable punt choice, but, but keep going. I, I just wanted well, to share Andy, some of the square observations for no, you. No, that's good. Andy, Andy Reed is not making the mistake that got Randy Fickner fired, right? Andy Reed is not coming out and saying, Hey, let's, we're the most pass heavy team in the NFL. Let's just come out and start running the football against the Browns because golly gee, you know, the Browns run defense is better than their pass defense, but we just want to run the football to get settled into this game. There's no chance Andy Reid's going to come out passing the football, having success. And then if we talk about the Browns defense, they've played 17 games this year. 17 games. It's hard to throw four touchdowns in the NFL, right? It's pretty hard to throw four touchdowns. Most quarterbacks don't even have a single game in the season that they throw four touchdowns. Some of them maybe have one, maybe two. I don't know. Listen to the list of quarterbacks. These are the, of 17 games, these are the only quarterbacks that didn't throw for at least four touchdowns versus the Cleveland Browns defense or play in terrible weather. There was a couple of games where scoring was completely muted against this defense. Three straight games where they played in like almost hurricane force winds and monsoon like weather and rain. So here's the quarterbacks, Mason Rudolph, Dwayne Haskins, Colt McCoy, Mike Glennon, Sam Darnold and Philip Rivers. That's it. That's it. Every other quarterback the Browns faced this year threw for at least four touchdowns against them. Uh, now, a couple of games, obviously, Lamar Jackson, he combined to throw for more than four in multiple games. But listen to some of these quarterbacks that they've played in their division, right? The guys that know them the best. And Andy Reid's had weeks to prepare for, get his offense ready to play in this game. The teams that know the Cleveland Browns, the best are the teams in their division. The AFC North has a huge diversity of quarterbacks, as you know, House. You've got Joe Burrow. He's a baby. He just mm. started. He literally played. I remember this game quite clearly. It was week two of the NFL season. It was a Thursday night game. We're like, dude, this guy just played. He, he just played week one against Tyrod Taylor. And then he comes back week two. It's a Thursday short rest game. He's got to go up against the Cleveland Browns. We like the Cleveland Browns this season. And, and we thought it was going to be very difficult for him. You know, he puts up 30 points in that game. But then you got Lamar Jackson, better runner than he is a passer. A lot of varying opinions around the league on what Lamar Jackson is. And you got Ben Roethlisberger, right? Storied career, should be a Hall of Famer. Won multiple Super Bowls. Uh, could be on the twilight, obviously, of his career. Look at what those teams did and those quarterbacks did against this Cleveland Browns defense in both the games that they played. Joe Burrow's team put up 34 points and 30 points. 
Lamar Jackson's team put up 47 points and 38 points. And Ben Roethlisberger's team put up 38 points and 37 points. Now we're talking about Ferrari, Pat Mahomes, and we're talking about the Chiefs and their game planning to go again. I mean, I don't know. It just seems like the Chiefs, unless they do it to themselves, I really don't see the personnel matchup edges and the opportunities that the Browns defense has to slow the Chiefs down if the Chiefs don't intentionally go run heavy or intentionally make mistakes themselves that are like their own choosing um, with some good fortune for the Browns. I just don't see how they're not putting up some points here. Yeah. Well, that, that makes me feel good. I, I began the, the introduction to this game saying my angle on this is over 57. It's what I want to root for, for that Sunday afternoon game as an appetizer game. I just want to see him run all up and down. If it's 51 31 in this game, that's great. I am thrilled to see it. And if it starts off with the Browns 24 to nothing against the Chiefs, and we have to see Mahomes and Reed, you know, dig deep, like, oh, you know, the punch in the mouth that wakes them up and let, reminds them that they're in uh, the NFL playoffs. Great. I, I'm, I love all of it. That's a great well, narrative this, for me. It's, it's really interesting because you take the Kansas City Chiefs. We know what they are. They've played two games against the Tennessee Titans. Uh, they played the Titans in the 2019 playoffs as well. And they played two games against the Raiders this year. And the Raiders and the Titans are sort of similar. The Browns and the Titans are like the Spider-Man meme right up against each other. The difference is Arthur Smith of the Titans wants to run the football a lot more than Kevin Stefanski would. Kevin Stefanski's using play action a lot earlier, throwing the football earlier in the game. But they both have like quarterbacks that like to work off of play action and that type of thing. Both have defenses that aren't that great. Look at the scores. They've These teams played four times, right? The Titans twice against the Chiefs and the... Uh, Raiders twice this year against the Chiefs. The scores were 35 to 25, 35 to 32, 35 to 31, and 40 to 32. I mean, both teams are going to probably be putting up points. The Chiefs have been allowing points themselves, and uh, it's going to be a fun game. I I really, more than anything, uh, I talked about the first 10 minutes of that Rams-Packers game and how the Rams really need to keep that game close. I want to see what Kevin Stefanski does to start this game. I will be on Twitter commenting about the first five minutes of this of their opening possession, whether they receive or whether they defer and have the second possession of the game. I want to see how aggressive and up-tempo maybe, but more so just trying to score points the fastest manner possible, which is what the Raiders did a couple times against the Kansas City Chiefs and which won them a game once against the Kansas City Chiefs by getting that lead rather than let's just play slow and hope that Mahomes starts slow too and then we'll just sling it with them in the fourth quarter. Like I, I really am intrigued to see how Stefanski starts this game. Well, we, we have uh, this, this really nice setup storyline wise this is that this this uh chiefs browns game is kind of your futures game right it's the future of the nfl right in front of you um you know all the things that go along with Mahomes and 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 baker and the breakthrough of the browns and the Chiefs sitting atop the throne and then at night we have the legends game i mean the guys that really <laughs> did usher in this era uh, and make it possible for for you know the ball flying all over the football field the last twenty years, and that is Drew Brees and Tom Brady. Tampa getting three at New Orleans. The total, as I see it uh, on the board, 
is 52. This game is the one that I have the least strong feeling for or about. I, I actually want to just talk this through with you and see if I can come up with a play that I'm comfortable with. On the one hand, I'm slightly inclined towards the over because it's what I want to root for. Um, it is, uh, you know, the dome thing. Um, you know, the saints have that, that sort of legendary history of overs, um, in, inside their own dome. On the other hand, you know, th- we've seen some, some tightening, uh, scoring wise. Um, and I just, I don't have a feel for this. The only st- couple of weird stats that jump out at me, Sean Payton now is four and against Bruce Arians. I don't know what w- what to make of that. Um, I don't know whether or not there's anything to be made of the fact that these two teams played earlier this year and, and, you know, uh, neither game felt particularly close or, or competitive. I mean, the, the Bucks self-defeated at the game, the beginning of the season, and they were just completely outclassed the second time they played. Um, so I just don't have a vibe for this. Help us uh, figure out a, a, a way to, to make th- this game in the first place, you know, profitable, but also, you know, wh- where's the intrigue in this one? Well, I want to ask you a question first. Um, like what, what do you think, what stock do you put into those first couple of games versus what stock do you put into the way the Bucks seem to be playing right now? Um, you know, like the current trending team direction versus what we saw earlier in the season. Those were meetings in week one and week nine. Well, I, I know from the stats that I'm looking at, the Bucks are throwing the ball more on first down. It looks like Tampa has finally um, gotten a game plan. Arians and Brady are seeing the world the same way. They're they're playing from the same song sheet kind of finally. And they had a nice opportunity over the, the last quarter uh, of the season to play some horrendous football teams. And, and, you know, Brady's stats were inflated incredibly. He got himself uh, uh, 40 touchdowns and 4,700 yards. Pretty effing good. But a lot of that came, he had a thousand yards in the last two games of the season. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm glad, but like, I really don't think it's indicative of what this team, you know, when, when put under pressure, um, you know, what, what it looks like when you start to squeeze it a little bit, because I don't, when's it, the, the, the bucks had a good game plan against the Washingtons last week against the, 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 the footballers. Uh, from my hometown and the footballers did put good, good pressure on Brady, but Brady was not uncomfortable. He was able, they, they had a nice, uh, uh, um, you know, de- downfield attack. I think I saw one of your guys did, did, did a ride up. They, they, for, um, uh, they, they were successful in completing passes of 10 yards or more. Brady had through for like 280 yards and two touchdowns in attempts that traveled more than, than 10 yards. And he had a good uh, completion rate in, in that realm. So Washington, even with the pressure they put on him did not make him uncomfortable. And the thing that we saw this season with Brady is, you know, he, 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 he doesn't like to be touched. He doesn't like pressure. Um, and Washington couldn't really bring that pressure can the saints do it? So that that's, that's sort of my, my, my sentiment based on 
what what you asked me, which is you know the the trending of of the bucks and what 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 do I put into it? Okay, and let me ask you one final question: Tom Brady, underdog, catching points versus Drew Brees with an arm that doesn't look whip doesn't look too chipper. Let's put it that way. <laughs> You're so polite. What what um, do you what do you what do you make out of that? I mean, I mean are are you uh, you've got to be leaning some direction here. You can't yeah. just be looking well, at what, the three and saying I don't I don't I don't want to lay it. I don't want to grab it. I have no inclination at all. Like what where are you really leaning in? I think I'm going to get to the bottom of it when we start talking about these quarterbacks and actually name them and you think about them in your mind. I'm going to and then you know, I was going to sit on it until we talked it all the way through. I'm going to parlay Tampa plus three and over 52. That's that's how I'm going to play this game. That's the wager I'm putting on this game. It's a parlay. It's a Sunday night parlay. Let's put a cherry on top. Tom Brady uh, in in the conference, the NFC championship game uh, came, you know, after his successful dominance in the AFC. That's what I want to see. I think it's, you know, uh, there's a lot of good stories along Along with that, so I'm parlaying Tampa plus three in the over 52. Man, see, it didn't take that much work, or that much questioning for me to tease that out of you. You would be terrible under the heat lamp of the hot uh, room. Don't get in trouble, Joe, because you're. Well, I be... like you. See, this what? is the thing. I, I mean, if 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 we weren't pals, I'm a good I interrogator. I would have bullshitted for another three hours. But no, we're so trying that's to good. help the people here. We're trying to help the people, Sharpie. So, so let's first talk about last week's game, the Bucks game against the. Washingtons. And I think that the Bucks got lucky that the Washingtons were bad against the run in that game. Because one of the things we've made a point on here, and I've talked about it before, is why'd you bring Tom Brady here? I mean, it's not to let Byron Leftwich tell him what to do. It's to let Tom Brady and all his knowledge and all his expertise and experience win you guys a Super Bowl. So when I see that on first downs in the first three quarters, after going 67% pass the prior three games to close the season, they went back to running the ball 58% of the time in this game against Washington. I didn't like it. On early downs in the first three quarters, Brady didn't have a particularly great day passing the ball. So you could say, okay, well, it's a good thing they were having success running the ball. But to me, that's way too high of a run rate. And then you look at where they actually were being productive offensively. It came on third downs. That's when Brady really was great. They went 100% pass in the first three quarters. He converted 60% of his passes for first downs, averaging 10.6 yards per attempt, throwing the ball down the field, converting and moving the chains. He was great on those plays. Um, But the way I say that they're fortunate that they were running the ball well is on early downs, not just first downs, on early downs in the first three quarters, we're talking about 75% of this game here, early downs. They called 19 runs to only 23 passes. I mean, that's a lot of runs and they got good production. They ran for 5.2 yards per carry for a 53% success rate. So I could be wrong. Maybe I'm wrong because they ran a lot, but they had decent production out of it. So that's a good thing. Why would we criticize them for that? We shouldn't criticize them for that if they're going to change their stripes against the Saints. But if they feel like, oh man, this was the way, this was the way, let's keep this up, and they use the same game plan, the Saints have the number two ranked run defense. 
I don't know if the Bucks are going to have that level of production on early down run plays against the Saints as they did against Washington. And if they don't and they run the ball at that rate, they're going to be in a lot more third downs. And I also do not think that Tom Brady is going to have that level of success on third downs in this game. But I'll tell you what, House, this is a very tricky game for me because I am trying to understand the matchup on that side of the football. I feel like on the Saints side of the football, I feel like the Saints have success offensively here. I feel like they can move the ball. They've done it the first couple of games. I think they know the matchups that they have edges in. They got all their guys healthy. They got Kamara. They got Emmanuel Sanders up. They got Michael Thomas up. They got Drew Brees. I think that they can be successful moving the ball on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. And after all, you got the 4-0 stretch. Sean Payton's done well calling plays against this defense of Todd Bowles. What I'm not sure of is on the other side of the football. I am not sure of the Saints defense. Is this defense for real? Do they just match up well against the Bucs? When you look at the metrics, season-long data, the New Orleans Saints are great. They're one of the top five defenses. But when you match them up against any above-average offense, they're allowing points. Let's run through the offenses that they played that are average to above-average. The Lions, they gave up 29 points. The Chargers, they gave up 27. The Raiders, they gave up 34. The Panthers, they gave up 24. The Vikings, they gave up 33. And the Chiefs, they give up 32. This is one of the best defenses in the NFL, a top-five defense. And against any average offense or better, they're giving up 24 plus points, averaging, you know, 29 points allowed. So that's a little concerning. But then I look at what they're doing against this Tampa Bay Bucks, and I'm like, hmm, the Bucs have a top five offense. They're really good offensively. Why aren't they having success? So the analysis I did, it was actually fun. I don't normally sit here. This is stuff I used to do like a decade ago, and I loved it a decade, two decades ago when I was dicking around and I had time to do stuff like this. Um, I went through every single playoff game and I went through the rematch games where a team has played the divisional opponent in the postseason. And I isolated just the games where a team swept the team in the first two games during the regular season. Now, let me back up first and tell you that it is very difficult to beat a team two times in the same season. And we talked about that. The team that loses makes adjustments. They come back a little bit better. And so what I did is I looked at, I, I first looked at the past 30 years and the, those have some good numbers. Numbers aren't that different from the last 10 years, but I wanted to parse the last 10 years a little bit more and looked at the divisional games that didn't have two plus turnover advantage, right? Like a team might win the first game because they had a bunch of turnovers go in their favor. So I wanted to get rid of those teams that were able to do that. Since 2010, in the first meeting of a season, divisional game, there's been 302 teams that fall into this where they've won the first game of the divisional battle against an opponent without a two-plus turnover advantage. Those teams win the game by an average of 9.3 points. So then they have a, re a rematch game. They've already won the first game. They're playing this team in the same season, not playoffs. We're talking about regular season, the second meeting in the division. For the second time, you know, how often the team that wins the first game wins the second, it's less than 55% of the time. 
Again, it's hard to beat a team twice. However, there's a lesson to be taken, in my opinion, from the teams that are able to win the second game. The teams that win the second game, it happens 55% of the time, just under, they win the game by almost 14 points a game, substantially more than the first go around. And there's a takeaway here that, yes, it's hard to win twice, but the teams that are able to do it might just have an edge, whether it's a personnel matchup edge, whether it's a coaching edge, some type of edge over that team where it's just a good matchup for the team that is able to sweep these games. Just like what the Saints did against the Bucs. They win the first game, 34 to 23. How many points is that? 11. They go out in the second game and they win it in a much more lopsided fashion, 38 to 3. They win by a larger margin, falling into this, into this uh, analysis. But that's only half the story. The real story is what happens in the playoffs if these two teams meet, having swept them in the first go-round. The team that swept the season series went 13-4 and four in the third meeting, which is in the playoffs. That's a 76% win rate. And if that game occurs in the wild card, like after the wild card round, they're five and one, 83% win rate. Now that's that's a very, very small sample size. And you shouldn't be placing any bets based upon such a small sample size. But it's notable, like the 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 fact that these are so lopsided battles when you are able to sweep the team. Maybe it's just that you match up really well. And among the teams that were able to pull off those upsets, house, the the four times that the other team that lost both regular season games like the Bucs were able to win in the playoffs. Here's how three of those four went. The 0-2 team gets a plus four turnover margin and is able to win the playoff game. Another game, the 0-2 team is able to win because the 2-0 team had four turnovers, 11 penalties, and allowed a defensive touchdown. And in one team, one time, the 0-2 team is losing entering the fourth quarter, has a fourth quarter comeback to win the game late. So it's not as if like even those four were like dramatic, dominant fashion. The team that lost the first couple of games won the second with ease. Like they had to have a lot of things that went their way. So I thought that was interesting. I think this game is very, very tough. But what do you think of that analysis? You know, I was looking for the same kind of thing because I like, you know, historical context. I like to, you know, uh, I'm not a, a pure trends better, but it definitely influences my thinking. I think it can be revealing. And I had seen something um, that that's kind of tracks. I don't think it's out of order with what you um, have. And I don't remember. I would give credit to whoever I saw this. Uh, it might've been one of your guys uh, since the the merger in 1970, what I'd seen was 21 instances between divisional rivals where one team swept the other. And, and this is since 1970. So we're going back, you know, uh, uh, uh 20, 50 years. God, I can, the, the math it's scary. Um, and the team that swept the regular season, according to this um, sample size, went 14 and seven in you know the third matchup. And that home teams, in particular, uh, 12 and five over the same period. And this Saints team in particular was in this spot up against the Carolina Panthers in 2017, and they beat the Panthers a third time. So you know that does that did cause me 
you know, to, to tap the brakes. It's why I thought I ought to listen to you a little bit, do a little breakdown of this game before I, I bit down hard on my Tampa plus three. You have, you have a bit down on, that's where you, that's where you want to go. You're free to, you're free to change it up. But the one thing that I will say about this game, nothing to do with trends. I'm just looking at the betting board. And this is one thing that, you know, sports books obviously know and sports books obviously do. You can look at who is popular among the underdogs and the only underdog garnering more betting tickets than the favorite is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Everybody is sitting at home. They're like, damn, Tom Brady. You see the way that this dude is playing. He is tanned. He's eating his avocado toast. He is just in shape looking like a God. And Drew Brees, the freaking guy who almost broke all his ribs, collapsed his lung, is going to be limping out onto the field. This dude has a noodle arm. He can't throw the ball down the field. And and you're giving me three points? I can get a full field goal with Tom Brady in the playoffs? How often do I get Tom Brady's an underdog in the playoffs? And I got Gronk, and I got AB, and I got Mike Evans, and I got Chris Godwin. I mean, and then the thing that makes this game so intriguing to me beyond that, beyond the allure of the the Greek god Tom Brady riding his stallion into battle is the fact that this is the last game of the entire weekend. And I'm just picturing everybody's Moneyline parlays rolling up. They're, they're, they're getting multiplied by taking an underdog yep. uh, Tampa Bay money line. They're putting all these Tampa Bay money lines to multiply their earnings on these earlier games. And then when one of their earlier games loses, maybe they lose the, they, they bet the Ravens or who knows, maybe they bet the bills, the bills lose. And, and they up, I can't, my money line parlay is dead, but now I'm going to get another one going. I'm going to bet on the bucks just standalone. I'm going to bet the bucks money line and I'm going to bet the bucks money line to the chiefs money line. And I'm going to all these different things that are going to add up and give a lot of ROI for them in their minds. It all comes down to this last game, this standalone game at 640 on Sunday. There's no other game. It's going to be the chase game, whatever you lost bet on Tom Brady. And that's the one thing that you could be right. You could be wrong. Right. You could, you could, who knows what happens. There could be turnovers that determine the outcome or the game could be decided on the field. And maybe the bucks smashed the shit out of the saints, or maybe the same thing happens that happened in the first two games. We don't yet know what's going to happen, but the fact that you've got a heavy public underdog already that in my mind between Friday and Sunday is going to attract even more action from the public betters to bet on Tom Brady, catching these points should cause a little pause for you before you run to the window and ask to place your earnings on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here. See, I love this. This is because what you just did was a very, very gentle and gracious evisceration of the square mind. This is the psychology of the square mind which is why it's been a joy doing this podcast with you this season. Uh, here's what I'm going to do. That that parlay I described is unwittingly, I came up with the square parlay of the weekend, Tampa and the over. There's nothing more square than, than the over in the final game because of the Saints reputation for points over the last 15 years. And, and you know, the beloved Tommy touchdown on Sunday night primetime. By the way, another bedtime game for Tommy. Uh, we, we, we don't, we shouldn't forget that angle. Uh, he was successful enough. They didn't cover. 
again, you know, another failed against the spread cover at nighttime, but um, they did win outright. Where I am ending up on this now, having discussed this, it's going to be a tiny money line play on New Orleans. That that's it. It's just a tiny, just a tiny winner on New Orleans. There's nothing wrong with a New Orleans uh, Green Bay NFC Championship. It's pure chalk. It's what everybody back in August looking at the, the schedule like. Well, there's a lot of reasons why New Orleans might play uh, uh, Green Bay. You know, in the NFC Championship game, um, probably one of the the, the favored matchups for the NFC championship that all I have it's minus 165 is what I see right now that looks a little bit expensive but um I think that's what I'm going to end up doing well I'll tell you look at this stage in the playoffs right you all these teams are good all the all these teams have have some flaws but they're all good too and it's hard when they set a good number like this one is that's attracting equal action to say, oh my God, this line's completely wrong. There's a ton of value here. There's so much value here. So you have to dig deeper than like beyond the value and start looking at other things. And um, there's reasons to like the bucks here. I mean, I'm, I'm painting the picture in one direction a little bit to show the caution, but in the bucks certainly are playing well. And the Saints defense, although they're ranked really well, hasn't done well against most decent offenses from a point production standpoint. So could the Bucs come out here and put up some points and force Drew Brees to put up points too and match them? And that's when your Bucs and over parlay cashes a ticket for you. Yeah, it definitely could happen. Uh, I see a variety of different outcomes in this game that wouldn't be shocking, right? The, the Cleveland Browns, putting up 28 points in the first quarter against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That is shocking. I don't think there's an outcome in this game that would be so shocking to me, right? Like we've already seen the Saints dominate these guys before. That wouldn't be shocking because we've seen it. I would be shocked if the Saints put up three points at home and lost at home like the Bucs did 38 to three. That's probably the only shocking thing. Um, But I, I... I don't really think that that happens, but I could see the Bucks winning this game in a low scoring manner or a high scoring manner. So this is one I haven't done anything with yet. Like I would, I would give you more uh, an indication if I had, I haven't done anything yet, but in the interest of being thorough and sharing the perspective of somebody who's been doing this for a while, thinking about the spread and then looking at, you know, what is the reality? Is it series history and something like this? that weighs more than like specific other things that we're looking at on the surface. Uh, just a little deep dive into uh, some of the things that I've uncovered here. Well, I, I don't want any of the leverage that you talked about, right? I don't want to be sitting there needing this, a, 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 a Tampa leg to, to finish off, um, you know, a parlay or, 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 or really even maybe a tiny teaser, um, but there's no value really in 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 uh, the teaser. It's already sitting at three. Maybe you tease Tampa up to nine. Maybe that's something. Um, since they're sitting on the three right now, if it drops down to two and a half, you could tease through the three and the nine. And maybe that's what I'll keep an eye on. But I don't. What would the circumstances be for Tampa to get down to two and a half? Um, if I'll just tell you this: if Tampa gets down to two and a half, then you should start feeling a lot better about Tampa. Okay, then you should start if Tampa, like if you're just trying to read the screen and and try to get a sense as to who's doing what with the big money. Right now we're sitting here. It's late Thursday. You guys are all going to listen to this when you wake up on Friday morning or sometime on Friday. And the line's probably still going to be three. 
And that means a lot of money has come in, sharp, strong, heavy money has come in over the weekend that's joined the public money and dropped this number down. And if that does happen, then you could start feeling better about potentially teasing Tampa through the three and the seven and using that as a leg. But as it stands right now, I mean, I'll just tell you, a lot of other people out there are probably going to be teasing the Bucks, and that's why it's not out of the realm of possibility if all that shit gets flushed down the toilet. All the money line parlays, all the ATS on Tampa, all the teaser stuff gets flushed down the drain. Um, if 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 you see an indication that this thing is getting stronger towards the Saints, if the juice to lay the Saints is going higher and higher as we approach game time and moving up to like even some spots maybe on the verge of going to three and a half, that's when you should be very scared about getting involved with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But we'll see. We'll see. And here's the other thing, just so everybody at home knows, we're reading the markets. So I'm trying to share some information about the the sharper betting groups and that sort of thing. These guys are still only winning at like 55%, 58%. Like they don't win every game. So just because the sharp money is lined up here and the public money might be lined up there, if that's what in fact happens on this game, it's to be determined yet. But if that's what in fact happens here, does not mean that the sharp guys are going to win 90% of the time and you should get the hell off of your bet. If you really feel convicted about it, look, it's your money. Don't, don't, don't let somebody else tell you what to do if you really are head over heels, you think it's the right thing and you've done well with your betting this year, then don't let somebody talk you out of that. Just uh, just, just, don't bet anything that you can't afford to lose is all I'll say. That's the most important lesson of them all, Warren Sharp. It is divisional weekend. These are the, 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 the true class of the NFL lined up for us. I love spending. I really enjoyed having all day spoken for last weekend, super wild card weekend. That could be super wild card weekend for the rest of my life. Uh, and I will enjoy it, but this is the old school four thirty, three o'clock nighttime, prime time. This is the NFL playoffs. These are the eight, eight best teams. Let's go get it on. All right. Just to, just to recap Sharpie, here's how I am playing this weekend. I'm going to touch each of the four games. I'm playing Green Bay in a teaser, uh, teasing them from six and a half down to a half point and Baltimore up to eight and a half. That's one of the plays for the weekend. Another play for the weekend is I'm going to go ahead and, and, and lay the points with the Packers minus six and a half for Green Bay at home. So the only, oh, I know that that's the Packers kind of twice here, but uh, for the Ravens, all I'm doing is teasing them up through to the eight and a half number. So the teaser, then the Packers minus six and a half. I'm going to do over 57 in the Kansas City Cleveland game. We went through probably three dozen reasons why there's going to be lots of scoring in that game. And then a tiny money line play on the New Orleans Saints. And I may yet end up doing the squares parlay in America, which is Tampa plus three. Uh, and over 52. I can't say I won't do it, but for the purposes of the pod, it's going to be the New Orleans money line. Just a tiny contrary play for this weekend. We only have three more games after these house and, and we're going to get our money's worth this weekend. I'm very confident of it. I wish you good luck in your action. Everybody's listening at home, but 
just cherish this weekend. We almost, I mean, there's more looking more likely than not that we would not be able to get this, this season in. And this weekend to me is always the best weekend of the season. I'm so happy it's here. Let's cherish all these games. There's only three after this. And, uh, and, and hopefully we see some good football and pay close attention to some of the things that we pointed out on the show and, and, and raise your hand if you see some of the things that we talked about, cause it's going to be fun to watch the chess match from a coaching perspective and the execution from a player's perspective. Can't wait. I can't wait either. I'm going to have all my screens, the computer, the other screen, your Twitter will be up. I'll have, you know, two TV screens going. I can't wait. 